everyone. I just wanted to thank the organizers for inviting me to speak at this event today. It's been a great educational session, and I'm looking forward to more events from the Lymphoma Myeloma Congress. As we just heard from my colleague, Sham, um, CAR T-cell therapy has really changed the landscape of myeloma. All our patients before were heavily pretreated, relapsed refractory, and, running, and were running out of options. We were actually finally able to give these patients a one-time therapy instead of their weekly infusions or biweekly infusions. And as you saw from him, there are some promising results. We have been able to put some of these patients into deep and sustained durable responses. I do know some patients progress. However, there are some patients who've benefited and stayed in remission for over a year. So, but all of this comes at a, um, at a cost. So I'm going to be talking about how we're dealing with the adverse events and toxicities in myeloma patients. Here's a good slide that talks about the biological consequences following CAR T-cell therapy. So as you can see here, after the CAR T-cells are infused, they go to the sites of disease and start expanding. So they're rapidly growing and exponentially. The CD8 cytotoxic, uh, cytotoxic CD8 CAR T-cell attacks the tumor cell and lyses the antigen and as well it destroys the tumor cell and antigens are released as well as cytokines. This in turn activates more of the immune cells such as monocytes and macrophages and you have even more of a higher cytokine storm. What you see here is that you have multiple various cytokines. There's IL-6, IL-1, TNF-alpha, interferon gamma, and there's an antidote called tocilizumab, which we'll talk about later, which actually is an anti-IL-6 receptor antibody, which blocks the IL-6 from causing all these cytokine symptoms. One of the issues that you have with the release of all these cytokines is a physiological response to the patients. The patients can have fever, hypotension, and hypoxia, and we need to find ways to manage that. So what exactly is cytokine release syndrome? By definition, it's a supraphysiological production of cytokines due to activation of the T cells as well as other immune cells such as monocytes and macrophages. There's been murine models that show that macrophages actually amplify the severity of CRS like you saw in the picture before. What's different about all these CAR T cell products is that everyone is different. They are manufactured differently, they have different CAR T constructs, which then in turn causes them to have different cytokine profiles. And then you also notice that the CRS doesn't happen all at the same time for every CAR-T product. Typically, the CRS can start within a few hours, as early as day one, also a few hours, and it can be also as late as day seven or 10. The highest risk is usually within the 10 to 14 days, and most of the clinical trials now require inpatient hospitalization. There are some CAR-T constructs that they are doing outpatient monitoring and admit the patient when they do have CRS. The severity may actually correlate with the dose of T cells and the tumor burden, but there's been some studies that show that that's not the case. But we do know that the severity does correlate with the CRP and ferritin, which is something that we usually measure daily on our patients in the hospital or outpatient. But what would be interesting is if we can actually measure the cytokines. So that some institutions can actually do a real world I'm sorry, a real-time turnaround cytokine profile where they can order it in the hospital and they get the results within four hours. So that way you can actually tailor your management not on guesses, but actually on what's actually happening to the patient. So what are some complications for CAR T-cell therapy? As we know, a majority of this talk is going to be talking about CRS and neurotoxicity. But one of the things we shouldn't forget about is tumor lysis syndrome. 
If you think about it, these patients are having bridging chemotherapy, but they're refractory and relapsed patients. So often some patients don't actually respond to their bridging therapy and are progressing before they get their actual CAR T-cell therapy. So we need to manage um, their responses to tumor lysis just like we would with any other setting. Other complications are cytoreduction-related toxicities. Like I mentioned, most people will get lymphodepleting chemotherapy prior to the infusion of CAR T-cells. And lymphodepletion, obviously, is chemotherapy, so it can cause cytopenias. So when somebody has a fever, we also need to keep in mind that infection is a possibility, and we don't want to just treat CRS thinking they don't have an infection. One rare complication is the on-target off-tumor toxicity. This usually happens mostly in solid CAR-T solid CAR-T therapies, solid tumors, but it's usually when a tumor-associated antigen is expressed on normal tissues. We try to find tumor antigens that are expressed mostly in malignant cells, but if they are expressed on normal tissue as well, you can get this toxicity. So here is a busy slide, but basically talking about cytokine release syndrome, and it can affect multiple organ systems. You can start from constitutional symptoms. You can have cardiovascular with hypotension, tachycardia, arrhythmias. You can have pulmonary toxicity with hypoxia, renal issues. You can have GI or musculoskeletal issues, and even liver transaminitis and hyperbilirubinemia. A common hematological toxicity is one of the most common organs that's been affected. You see patients can have anemia, thrombocytopenia. They can also have DIC with elevated PTT and PT. And one of the other rare complications is hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or known as HLH. And neurotoxicity is something that's also common with CAR T-cell therapy. When patients can have headache, they can have confusion, altered speech, even seizures. In the past, when CAR T was first started, it was unclear on how we were going to actually grade the CAR-T um, severity. So every institution kind of made up their own scale. So UPenn had their own system, MD Anderson had their system, CTCAE made a system. And recently, there was a change in the CAR-T grading scales with the ASTCT CRS grading. So what's different here is that everybody had to have a fever, um, at least like 38 or above, to even call CRS. And what's different from these grading compared to the other grading, this one only includes hypotension and hypoxia. They basically took away the organ toxicity and then the other confusions associated with the multiple scales. I had a patient who had a fever of 39. He had no other symptoms, but he was hyponatremic to grade 3. So based on the revised Lee criteria, he actually was considered to have grade 3 CRS, even though the only symptom he really had was the fever. Therefore, this is the reason why they have come up with the scale to simplify and how people are going to evaluate these patients throughout. As you can see here, when somebody has hypotension, and if they're responding just to IV fluids, that's grade 2. If they're requiring one vasopressor, that would be considered grade three. And if they're requiring multiple vasopressors, that's grade four. Similarly, for hypoxia, if you're needing oxygen but less than six liters, you're grade two. If you're having more than six liters, you're on high flow, venti mask, you're considered having grade three. And grade four is if you needed CPAP, BiPAP, or mechanical ventilation. But how do you exactly manage this? We know how we can grade them now. And when you're talking about how to manage, this is one of the proposed guidelines that was done by MD Anderson CARTOX Working Group. So generally, patients with CRS grade one, you give them fluid, supportive care, antipyretics. But lately, we've noticed that a lot of, a lot of patients are getting tocilizumab, even at grade one, 
if there's a rapid rise in CRP, there's, um, they're feeling very lethargic, or if they just don't look good and they're having fevers of greater than 39. I'm sure if any of you had a fever over 39 for three days in a row, you probably won't be looking that good either. <coughs> when you get grade two CRS, this is when patients are hypotensive or they're hypoxic. These patients get a fluid bolus and they don't respond. You usually give them tocilizumab. The initial dose is eight milligrams per kilogram and you can give it every eight hours um, for up to four doses. But if these patients are getting fluid and they're not responding, you shouldn't keep fluid bolusing them because we actually had a patient who had grade one CRS, but within overnight he gained 20 pounds. And that's because of capillary leak syndrome. So we wanna really be careful about how much fluids we're actually giving these patients and we wanna monitor them or manage them with vasopressors instead. If somebody's not responding to the tocilizumab, you can always give them steroids. Dexamethasone, 10 milligrams per kilo, 10 10 milligrams IV Q6 hours is the usual next step. And patients that are grade three CRS needing more vasopressors, they're just refractory to TOSI, refractory to everything going on. This is when we usually initiate DEX initially. And if patients are still not responding to that and they're getting critically ill and going to grade four, then we actually updose the steroids to one gram of methylprednisone Q day. I wanted to give you a small case scenario of one of the patients that we had. So he was a 71-year-old male with primary refractory myeloma. He underwent fludarabine cytoxin conditioning regimen, and he got his BCMA CAR T-cell infusion on day one. He actually started having fevers right away, around four to six hours, and was treated with supportive care. Fevers worsened with rapid rise in CRP on day two. He started having slight somnolence, and he was severely fatigued and you would expect somebody with high fevers, age 71, to also be somnolent and tired. And he also had a tremor. The interesting thing is he has essential tremor at baseline, so it's really hard to evaluate in this setting. But what would your next step be? So would you give them broad-spectrum antibiotics? Would you do Tylenol? Would you give them tocilizumab, steroids, or anakinra, or all of the above? So this patient, as you can see, is having grade one CRS, but given the fact that there's a rapid rise in CRP and he's getting somnolent, we decided to treat him early and we gave him tocilizumab. <coughs> so tocilizumab, eight milligrams per kilogram was given. On day two, by that evening, so he got it in the morning on day two, and then by the evening, everything improved, his high fevers resolved. He was occasionally having low-grade temps, but every, um, his somnolence resolved, his neurotox was completely normal. On day five, he had normal mentation. On evening rounds, there was again that slight tremor, which we don't know how to interpret. But by 6 a.m. on day six, patients started having altered mental status. He was unable to speak in full sentences. He would have delayed responses when you asked him a question, and he was unable to write his daily sentence. We usually monitor neurotoxicity at our hospital by having our patients write a daily sentence, so we can see the first sign of them not being able to write the sentence correctly, we can capture it. So as you can see on the sentence here, he wrote, today I received my CAR T cell, and he put the date and signed. But then the day he was having neurotoxicity, he was not able to write that sentence. He wrote, today I received my T-cell, T-cell, and then signed and couldn't write the date. So in this case, what would your next step be? Would you give them tocilizumab again because they had a fever? Would you give them steroids, anakinra, or all of the above? 
So we gave them tocilizumab and steroids. One, because this was on day six, he was still having fevers, and steroids definitely because he's um, showing signs of neurotoxicity. So this is a graph which kind of really depicts clearly this is the CRP trend. As you can see, when he got the tocilizumab, the CRP was rapidly rising, and after that, it actually came down. And then what's interesting is when he was having neurotoxicity, you see that the ferritin's the one that's actually going up, not as much the CRP, which is often what we see. And then despite after the treatment, it came down. And then at the same time, we see the temperature curve. He had the fever, it went away. Then when he had a second wave of CRS, the fever started coming back. So this patient, after the steroids, he did really well. Um, we gave him three doses of dexamethasone, and he responded significantly. By the next day, he was fine, and I guess I forgot to show you the sentence. As you can see here in the sentence, this is the day after he got the steroids, his sentence was back to normal. So it's like dramatic transformation. And this patient actually went on to being MRD negative and is still in remission at 12 months. So how do you manage neurotoxicity? So typically, you want to do a baseline exam. You want to do what's called an encephalopathy score, which we'll talk about in a second, every shift. So you kind of know what the patient looks like at baseline. And then post-infusion, we have the nurses, the NPs, or you yourself can do an assessment every one to two times a day. In the morning and evening is typically when we do it. We have them do the daily handwriting, like I mentioned. If the patient is having signs of neurotoxicity, we get an MRI of the brain to look for cerebral edema. Another thing we consider, which they did in the lymphoma CAR-Ts, is doing a lumbar puncture, especially checking the opening pressure. And this has relieved some of the patient's pressure in the brain, and they've responded significantly. Generally, treatment for grade three ICANs is steroids, like we talked about, dexamethasone, 10 milligrams, IVQ6, and you taper it quickly over the next three to five days. The reason you don't want to put patients on steroids for too long is because if you think about it, they are cytopenic. So steroids, being on long-term steroids and cytopenia keeps way to more opportunistic infections. If the, and you don't have to necessarily wait until grade three to intervene. People definitely intervene earlier, right? You don't want to have a patient with neurotoxicity and wait to see if it gets worse. In the same way, seizure prophylaxis. Most institutions, if they start seeing patients with neurotoxicity, we start them on prophylactic seizure prophylaxis. So initially, just like the grading scales, there was a different scale that we used to use called the CARTOX-10, which was um, designed by the MD Anderson Working Group. So here you had orientation, naming, writing, and attention. If, anybody of you, if any of you have done the mini mental exam before, you probably know how cumbersome it is. So this is an easy assessment that you can do to the patient every day. And what's different now is the ASTCT came out with this immune effector cell-associated encephalopathy. I know it's a mouthful, but it's the, called the ICE tool. And what's different here is they took away one question from the orientation. So instead of five points, it's four points. And then they added an orientation following commands question, which is one point. So it didn't change the scale. It's still 10 out of 10 points. But this also allows us to see if the patient is following commands and how they're doing. Based on that, they came out with this ICANS, which is Immune Cell Associated Neurotoxicity Syndrome, or short form for neurotoxicity. And what this does is incorporates the I-score, along with depressed level of consciousness, seizures, motor findings, and any cerebral edema. If somebody has a score of um, I-score of three, but they actually had a seizure, then that would upgrade their grade from grade two to grade three. 
Likewise, if somebody was an eye score of zero, but they're awakened to tactile stimuli, then they're technically their grade three. So how do we manage these patients? We talked about tocilizumab um, a lot. So tocilizumab is an anti-IL-6 receptor monoclonal antibody. It was initially used for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, but as of October 2017, it's actually approved for CAR-T-induced CRS. The reason we started using tocilizumab, a short story, is that Carl's June daughter actually had rheumatoid arthritis and was using tocilizumab. And when his first patient, Emily Whitehead, was sick, for the uh, pre-BLL treatment, and she was in the ICU intubated, they noticed that the IL-6 increased a thousandfold. So he said, why don't we try it? We have nothing to lose. And they gave it, and the patient got better. So that's how we ended up getting tocilizumab as the standard of care. The IL-6 is usually, so tocilizumab prevents the IL-6 binding to both cell-associated and soluble IL-6 receptors, and is found to prevent life-threatening CRS. The recommended dose, like we said, is eight milligrams per kilogram, but, and you can use it um, Q8 hours, but just remember that it has a long half-life, about 14 days or so. So when you're giving multiple repeated doses and the CRP is downtrending, you have to think, is it actually giving you any benefit? And most patients' symptoms resolve within a few hours of administration. In terms of corticosteroids, this is usually a second-line agent. You usually give DEX 10 milligrams IVQ 6 hours, or methylpred 1 milligram per kilogram per day, or if it's really severe, like we talked about, you do 1 gram IV per day for refractory CRS. The one thing is there was always caution before whether steroids are going to wipe out the CAR T cells. Is it going to do its job, or is it going to... Um, completely stop the CAR T cell from performing its job. But we've seen that low doses of steroids has not really um, caused any detriment, but the data is still out and we're still waiting on more data to really say that clearly. In terms of anakinra, anakinra can be used as a second line or a third line agent for CR. Oh, I think my slide came out wrong. Sorry. Anyway, I'll talk about anakinra and talk about this. So anakinra is used as a second-line or third-line agent. It's an IL-1 receptor antibody. We actually had data from, oh, sorry. This is a retrospective study on patients, pediatric patients with HLH, and they were given anakinra, and those patients responded. So if you think about it, the macrophages are producing IL-1. And so if you could give anakinra, that can also decrease your CRS and neurotoxicity rates. We actually had a patient who was having CRS, got tocilizumab, was having fevers. Despite being on steroids, despite getting tocilizumab, they continued to have fever. So we actually initiated anakinra on them, and all the fevers went away, and the patient responded. So therefore, we typically start tending start to use um, anakinra much sooner than waiting until third line. So this slide actually was supposed to say, we know that we can give TOSI and steroids for these patients. What if we preemptively treated these patients, right? So there was a phase one CAR-T, CD19 CAR study in pediatric B-cell ALL patients. And what this showed is that first 23 patients got TOSI and DEX if they needed it, if there was a dose-limiting toxicity. And then the next 20 patients got tocilizumab and DEX if there was a persistent fever, they were having hypotension, or needed O2 supplementation. This was kind of done to see, is it affecting efficacy? Is it going to affect engraftment? Is it going to affect CAR T cell persistence? And what they found here is that all patients had CRS despite getting late TOSI or early TOSI, so there was no change in their rate. Patients actually had less severe CRS if they got early TOSI 
than late TOSI, but it was not statistically significant. The rates of neurotoxicity was unchanged, and the MRD negative CR rates were unchanged. So does this mean we should give everybody TOSI and anakinra, or sorry, TOSI and steroids? No, I think we still need more data to show for clearly. In terms of infectious prophylaxis, there's no clear standard, but our approach is we put most patients on acyclovir. If they're neutropenic, they get oral antibiotic prophylaxis and fungal prophylaxis. If they're neutropenic and febrile, obviously we broaden it to IV antibiotics. We actually initiate IVIG at our institution, pre-lymphodepletion, and continue monthly for the first six months. For growth factor and transfusion support, there's also no data on if growth factor is going to affect the CAR T cells. We typically start when they're neutropenic. Some institutions wait the first seven days after receiving CAR T cell therapy before starting it. We do hold off in any GM CSF because that can actually um, affect the macrophages. And transfusions, you just transfuse per your institutional guidelines. So now that the CAR T is done, what do you look out for in your clinic? These patients are pancytopenic, and this could persist for months. So if they're coming to you, transfuse them as per your institution's guidelines. If they have a low ANC, give them nupogen. Sometimes we've had to add leukine to our nupogen for our patients to help recover their cytopenias. Hypogammaglobulemia, we talked about. We start and make sure you continue it monthly for the first six months, and especially during the winter months if they're having upper respiratory infections. And in terms of infections, these patients are treated kind of like aloe patients, and you want to check their CMV PCR. You want to check any viral, odd viruses if they come with recurrent fevers. In terms of vaccinations, we actually follow similar guidelines to autotransplant and allotransplant patients, and everybody starts getting vaccinated one year post-CAR T therapy. What's interesting is we still don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's what we're doing at our institution. So in conclusion, CAR T-cell therapy is an up-and-coming strategy for a curative approach in myeloma. It's effective in inducing deep and durable responses in these chemo-refractory and high-risk patients. The toxicity profile is easily manageable with the drugs we mentioned, like tocilizumab, steroids, and anakinra. Thank you. <laughs>